Welcome to church. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. I mean that. Uh, I'm about to preach for seven hours, and so I just get comfortable. No. <laughs> In fact, I am about to, to tell a story, come straight from the Bible. If you're somebody who's like, I got to look it up first, I gotta, go to Genesis chapter 42. So I'm going to tell that story. But before I even get into preaching, we need to have a family conversation. So, our view, as in Fountain Springs Church's view on church, is that we are family. So I, I want to sing the song right now, but I won't, but, but that we're family, okay? So, so we need to have a family conversation. This, this applies to everybody, everybody. In fact, I'm a, fellows at RCMU, everyone at West, everyone East, this, everyone, all of us. I know today is not the end of June, but the end of June will eventually come, and near the end of June we will ship off or send off, however you want to call it, a bunch of teenagers to camp. Now, if you've ever been to church summer camp, pause those memories for a second, and I want you to hear our heart behind this. Every summer, our teenagers, and really any teenagers that want to go, go off to camp, and they get to hear who Jesus is for a week. Now, here's what I'll tell you. Camp actually has two different purposes. One is for a teenager to get to focus on Jesus for a whole week. Also, for a teenager to invite a friend to focus on Jesus for a week. It's a great opportunity to not just hear Jesus, but to share Jesus with other people. So we have camp. Now, if you've ever been a parent or a grandparent, or if you've ever been to camp, you know, guess what? Camp is not free. And some of us were raised like, I know it's not free. You sell brownies to get to camp. That's how that works, right? And as much as I would love to buy Tons of brownies. <clears throat> Here's what we don't do. You will not see a student fundraiser for camp. There is a purpose to this. Because I think that if you're going to go to a sports camp or band camp or space camp or whatever camps there are out there, you can raise money for that. But if you're going to go spend one week focused entirely on Jesus, I don't want you to have to raise money for that. Our, I should... As a church, we don't want you to have to raise money for that. So here's what we do. You're like, so, so where's all the brownie money come from? Where, it comes from you and I. So here's the deal. If you want to help a kid get to camp, that's on you and I to help make happen. So here's what we do. I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm not going to make you anything. Yeah, you will get no food of any sort from us. There comes a time that we get mature enough that we don't have to buy something in order to give something. Did you catch that? Now, I know some of us are like, you just stepped on my toes. I understand that's how this works. So here's what I want you to consider. 
whether it's a dollar or whether it's five or $10,000, I don't care. But you and I can help teenagers go to camp so you can write a check and put in the memo, send a kid to NTS or camp. You, you can do that. Or you can, you can text this. You can go on the app. You can go online and do this. Katie and I are going to do this. We're going to help teenagers go to camp. And when we say that Fountain Springs Church values the next generation that can't just be speak, you got me? It's got to be where we help send kids to camp. And so I know some of us have different budgets and, and all that kind of stuff, but I think all of us in some way or another can contribute to this. If you want to know our history, there hasn't been a kid yet that has been rejected saying they can't go to camp because it was a money issue. And I think you and I should keep that trend. Does that make sense? We clear on this? All right. Family conversation over. The rest of this talk, you just got to decide if you're going to listen or not, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to land this whole series about conquering our obstacles. The whole series has been built on a verse in the Bible. Let me show it to you. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have just been showing this verse each weekend saying, look at this. This is a big deal. The thief, Satan, the bad guy, he puts obstacles in front of you and I. Now, we don't have time for us all to share all those obstacles. You and I have our own list. But here's what I know is the devil has put obstacles in front of you. And at the same time, God has a plan for you. And in fact, if you haven't caught the full understanding of this verse, even though we've shown it tons of time, let me show you an observation. There are always two plans. There's always two plans. Two plans, they have your name on it. <laughs> if you don't know it's that personal, it is. You see, the, the Lord, God, has an incredible plan for you. Now, now, some of us, we go crazy with this. You're like, oh, God's got a plan for me, and I need to know, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I raise my right leg, my left leg? What do I do? And we, we kind of freak out a bit. But at the same time, the devil has a plan for you, and it's not good news. I'm not trying to be morbid or like, are you serious? Some of you are like, oh, no. There's, there's two planes that have your name on it. And you and I have to figure out how to conquer the devil's obstacles, the plan. Most of us could already tell a story now, couldn't we? Of moments where, where the devil put something in front of you and, and you, as we say, bit the apple. But what I'm telling you is that you and I often deal with this. And I, I think it's a little bit more than just knocking you down. In fact, I'll tell you something about the devil. He not only wants to push you down, is why you're down, he's interested in kicking you while you're down. And in fact, he's so interested that he wants to knock you down, then have others get involved in kicking you while you're down. Many of us have experienced those things too, where there is this cycle. Let me show you the cycle. This is, this is in the plan. The cycle is to respond to sin with another sin. So when you and I deal with conquering the devil's obstacles, we have to know this, that his ultimate plan is not just to trip you up, but it's to create a cycle. If you've ever found yourself in like, hey, I just did the same thing. Or if you've ever been in this, not that any married couple will relate. It's when one person does something they shouldn't do and the other one responds poorly. 
You ever, no, you haven't experienced that? Okay, just my marriage. Uh, <laughs> most of us understand that. Where someone messes up legitimately. But then the devil begins to get at us and says, hey, they shouldn't have done that. And you and I respond in a way that is sinful. It's, it's in a way that you and I shouldn't. And so we have got to press in this. Have you ever had someone not lead you in a good way? Have you ever had someone hurt you, betray you, and your natural response is, now it's war? <laughs> okay, so no, you haven't. That's great. Then we won't even preach this sermon. We'll just move on. I've had this, okay? I'll fess up. And in fact, had something weird happen lately. I'll tell you the story. So when I was in high school, so just to date myself, uh, that was a while ago. Uh, in fact, about uh, 20 years ago. Uh, so, so I was in high school, and I loved to play soccer. Loved it. I enjoyed it. It was a great thing. The problem was I played soccer. I played the position of goalie or keeper, however you want to call it. The problem was that the coach's son played the same position. And this particular coach thought it'd be best that, well, his son play whatever he wants to do. And, then, and that's what happened. I was a pretty decent player at soccer. I know some of you are like, you played soccer. I thought it was football. I thought it was football. No, it wasn't football. We couldn't afford a football team, so it was soccer. So it got so bad, the difference between me and the coach's son, that I'm sitting on the bench watching the soccer game happen, and the crowd on the other side starts to chant my name. Because it gotten so like, well, let's just call it toxic, okay? It had gotten so obvious that, there, that I should be in, and, and they, they started chanting. That made things a little weird, too, by the way. And so eventually, though, his son graduated. I'm like, this is my chance. So after my junior year, I went on a trip to Europe to play soccer. Played in a few tournaments, enjoyed it, made my skills even better, got back. I'm like, the coach's son is he's gone. I just played in Europe. I think I got a chance. I think I got a chance to play soccer in Indiana. So I show up and like, this is amazing. But <clears throat> then a kid who really hadn't played soccer, his dad offered to buy new basketball uniforms for the basketball team. Now you're like, what does basketball have to do with soccer? Well, if you do that, then you get privileges during soccer season. And his that son got to play, and, and it messed with me. In fact, it, some of you may think, this is weird, because, David, you got to let these things go. I understand that. But I probably could make fun of some of the things that you're holding on to as well. <laughs> I graduated high school, went to college, graduated college, eventually got married, had kids, and what I found out was... I was still holding a bit of a grudge towards my soccer coach in high school. Now, I thought it didn't matter. I mean, I've preached on forgiveness. I'm like, eh, but I mean, I don't really hate him. I mean, it's not a big deal. I would talk bad about him. Here's the crazy. About a year ago, I got a phone call. It was a Saturday morning. The phone call was my old soccer coach. 20 years later. He's like, hey, David, I'm in town. I'm like, what? like, is in Rapid City, South Dakota town? Like, you know, I moved from Indiana. He's like, yeah, I'm in Rapid City. And I'd love to have dinner with you. And I'm like, hmm. 
That was left on a voicemail because I'm just like you. If I don't know the number, I'm like, I'm not answering that. So I listened to this voicemail of my coach 20 years ago who wants to have dinner. In case you haven't caught in the vibe, I didn't have good feelings about this man, nor did I want to revisit those emotions. But after an hour went by, I was like, I, I, I'm a Christian, so I need to have dinner with him. And so I called him back and I was like, I would love to have dinner with you. I preached those services that night, left the church, and went and had dinner with my soccer coach. And I gotta tell you, the whole drive there, I, I wasn't looking forward to it, but as we sat down, I gotta tell you something. We, we didn't talk soccer. We didn't really talk anything about high school, really. He was captivated by what was going on in the Black Hills. He had heard stories and seen things on social media about God doing things in the Black Hills through a church called Fountain Springs Church. And our conversation was all about what God was doing. And that's when I started going, I think there's bigger issues than what happened to me in high school, right? And when I got done, I, I got into my vehicle and, and I called Katie, my wife, and I said, hey, the weirdest thing just happened. I just sat down with my coach and I never, I never thought any bad thoughts and I realized it, it was done. It was in the past, and we've been able to move on. It's pretty, pretty, he and I have even passed messages back and forth since then and, and realized that I, there's forgiveness that has happened. I, I wish I could tell you, there was no like glorious moment. Angels did not sit with us in the booth and say, hey, you guys need to patch things up. And There wasn't anything like incredible like that. I just noticed, I think, I think I'm beyond this. But what I've learned is this, is that you and I don't often get beyond things, do we? There's, there's things bigger than soccer, I get that. But you and I have a tendency that when there's a cycle, when someone does something they shouldn't do, you and I often respond in a way that we shouldn't, and there becomes a problem. It reveals our last obstacle. Here's what I'll call it, the obstacle of hurt. It's when you and I have someone not lead us in the way that they should, not do what they ought to do, and, and, and you and I have this hurt. It can be as small as not playing sports, but many of us, right, have had hurts that you don't talk about, and you haven't moved beyond. It still hurts you and messes with you, but even worse, it's got you locked down. The obstacle of hurt has been an agenda, has been in the plan that the devil's had for you the whole time because he knows if he can get you hurt, you will likely hurt other people. That's the saying, hurt people hurt people. If he can get you hurt, he can then get you into some bitterness. He can get you into some unresolved pain. He can get you to get into some addictions. He can get you into a whole mess of cycle singes over and over and over again. So I would tell you, from my experience, if you and I do not conquer the obstacle of hurt, not only does the devil win once, he wins over and over and over again. So this obstacle, if you're willing, we've got to figure out how to conquer it. And I've learned something because I needed to learn it. 
through the life of Joseph. If you haven't caught up on Joseph, Joseph's life, if you want to feel like you connect with someone, Joseph was sold into slavery when he was a teenager by his brothers. I'd call that a little bit of hurt and betrayal. Can we? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So after he was sold into slavery, as a slave, he was falsely accused of rape. I'd say some more betrayal. Then beyond that, he gets thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. I'd say a little bit more betrayal. Eventually, he begins to trust some people in prison. They do not live up to their promises, betrayed again. Can we just say that Joseph's life oozed betrayal and hurt? And in a group like this, can you agree perhaps that many of us have lives that ooze hurt? Where when you look at people, especially starting a new relationship, or you begin to just walk your day out, hurt is the dominant piece to your day. You can conquer it if you want to. You can conquer the pain that other people have caused you. I'm not telling you you have to forget it. You can conquer it, though. Let me show you the story. This is in Genesis, like I said. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? Does this not sound like a normal parenting conversation? Okay. He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. If if you, again, if you've missed the whole series, you're like, I don't understand the context. There's a famine going on. No one has food except Egypt. And people are dying of starvation. And Jacob, the dad of Joseph, says, hey, um, you guys need to go get us food or we're going to have not only just a regular problem that we're hungry, we will die. So they listen. They listen to dad. And they're like, all right, we'll go get food where food is. Food is located in Egypt. So they go to Egypt. And, and this is kind of funny in a non-ha-ha way. Uh, now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. Uh-oh. Now if you, again, if you're not caught up on this, these brothers who now need food need to get food now from Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, and they betrayed Joseph. This is like a perfect movie. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. If, if you read in the details, you know that Joseph, when he was a teenager, got a dream from God that his brothers would one day bow down to him. And in fact, that's what created a lot of jealousy in the relationship. And now the brothers have bowed down. So this family is starving. They don't have enough food. In fact, it's so bad they have to leave their home to go to Egypt and try to figure out how to get food. They do not recognize Joseph. They see him, they meet with him, but they don't know it's him. And he does not reveal that he is the brother. He just begins to play this game because you, can you imagine the emotions? You are now in front of people who, for all intents and purposes, betrayed you at the deepest level. Have you ever thought about standing in front of the person that hurt you? Many of you are like, oh yeah, I have. And do not share those stories of what you did. <laughs> Joseph, don't miss this is now standing in front of the very people that threw his life into turmoil, who betrayed him, who did the worst of the worst. And he's now with all authority in Egypt standing in front of him. 
fronting them. I mean, you know that he could have killed them, no problem. No one would have been mad about it. It's, it's just over. What he does is he has a bit of a back and forth time with them, not playing with them. He wants to create a relationship, doesn't know fully how, but he also wants to see if they're sorry. Eventually, the brothers, all the brothers, end up in Joseph's home. They're in Joseph's home. They don't know who Joseph is yet in the sense that they don't know it's Joseph. And all of a sudden, he realizes his emotions are going to get a hold of him. So he sends everybody out. He's like, everybody get out, get out, except my, my brothers. And so they stay. Watch this. As soon as he releases everybody, it's just them. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. That's how loud he was screaming and crying. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? It gives you a glimpse as to what he's been wondering all of these years that he was sold into slavery and has lived in a place that is not his own. He's wondering, how's my dad doing? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery, into Egypt. Again, I want you thinking, I really do want you thinking about the people or the person that has hurt you. And if you ever had this moment in front of you where you had all the power that you wish you had, what would you do with it? Joseph has that and he's in front of his brothers in his own house. And here's what he says in verse five. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, can we have a very honest moment right now? I think we can. Most of us don't relate to that verse. When he's seen this, this group of people, his brothers that have hurt him, most of us do not say to the people that have hurt us, hey, I don't want you to be angry with yourself. Most of us don't relate to responding to hurt that way because we believe this lie that if we forgive someone, if we actually tell the person that's hurt us that it's okay now, we think that we're freeing them. We think that it meant that it didn't hurt us, so we don't offer forgiveness because, here's the honest part, we want them to hurt for what they did. We want them to hurt. We want them to feel the ramifications of what they did to us. In fact, here's what I'll say, observation about this. Withholding forgiveness is an attempt at revenge. This is where we get really honest. Withholding forgiveness is an attempt at seeking revenge because you don't have the physical power or the financial power or even the social power to seek revenge. You withhold forgiveness thinking, well, that hurts him a little bit. You know it doesn't, right? <laughs> but let's walk down this road a little bit. Revenge, maybe you are withholding forgiveness, which likely means you're trying to exact some sort of revenge. You need to know what revenge means. It's the same as retaliation. You want to retaliate somehow. They hurt you, so you got to get back at them. It's that plan, that cycle that the devil wants us to walk down. The problem is, if you seek revenge, 
You play God. And no offense, none of us are good at playing that role. And the Bible even gives us warnings regarding revenge and retaliation. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. That does not sound like today's culture. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Do you see how unbelievably powerful but also difficult it is to be a follower of Jesus? Because it takes us into our moments of hurt and we have to decide, are we going to be like Jesus or revert back? I said, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. Do you remember what I talked about at the beginning, God's plan? And many of us want to know, what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And you think it's vocational is what you're asking? Or what school to go to? Or, or who to date? Or who to marry? No. This is what God has called you to do. And what's that? To forgive. It's a calling. And it'll mess with you. He will grant you his blessing if you do so. There's a more direct verse if you like things more direct. It's in Romans. Don't let evil conquer you. That, that hurt? Don't let it conquer you. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil. How? How do you? By doing good. If you're like, I don't get it. David, I need you to be more direct. I'm glad you said that. Choosing to forgive is choosing to conquer evil. Choosing to forgive is not saying, that didn't hurt me. Choosing to forgive is not saying, hey, I'm totally over that. I don't feel any hurt from that whatsoever anymore. Choosing to forgive is not saying, oh, you've paid your debt. I now forgive you. Choosing to forgive is choosing to conquer evil. It's not saying that sin didn't happen. It's saying, I don't want sin to continue. Are you following? It's saying that I refuse to let the devil get a hold of me for the rest of my life. So even though that hurt me, and even though I'm going to remember these moments, I choose now to not hold on to this and to not make this person over and over and over know you hate their gods. Choosing to forgive is choosing to conquer evil. Let's go more specific. Here's what Satan says. Uh, don't forgive. Focus on what they did. Focus on it. I already told you a story how I was doing that. Many of us do that. The hurt, the pain. Many of us, we wake up thinking about it, focusing on it. We go to bed. We go to work. We go to school. We function all the time. As we have it in our home, we just focus on what they did. We talk about what they did. We think about what they did. And if you continue to do that, you will not conquer the obstacle of hurt. The better is what God says. Forgive. How? Focus on what I did. If you'll get this, if you'll get this truth, you'll begin to realize that life is not all about you. Life is about God. Life is about our creator who loves us so much. God says the way to forgive is to focus on what he did. And if you're like, David, I'm new to this. What exactly 
Did he do? <laughs> Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If you don't understand what this is saying, it's simply saying that Jesus came to save us and forgive us to die for us even while we were still in our own mess. See, I'm not going to make you raise your hands. Please do not raise your hands on this. But many of us are like, well, if they say they're sorry, then I will forgive them, right? Jesus didn't do that for you and I. He's not, he didn't wait for you and I to say, I now believe in you. And then he goes and dies on a cross. Before you were born, with full knowledge that you and I would make the decisions that we make, he still died for us. And he calls us to the same life. When someone hurts you, you must decide this. Are you going to allow that person and the devil to have authority in your life the rest of your life? Or how about breaking it? Conquering evil. Many of us thought forgiveness was an emotional or a psychological thing. No, it's all spiritual. If you want to conquer the obstacle of hurt, you must press into forgiving the way Jesus forgave. But, but maybe that's not you. Maybe you're sitting there going, David, uh, I'm pretty good on this. I have released high school before you did, David, and moved on. The story continues to help the other side of the coin, as I'll call it. Let me show it to you. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Because if you haven't caught this, Joseph offered forgiveness to his brothers before his brothers said they were sorry. In fact, they've not actually said to his face, hey, we're sorry for the whole selling you as a slave thing. They haven't said that. He is just, when he sees them, gives them forgiveness. But now that the father has passed away, they're freaking out. <laughs> so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now stay there. Do you know why he wept? Because it's like the emotion that you've experienced. When someone did apologize to you and that peace happened, and you finally were able to weep. It's a powerful moment. Watch this. So they take this further. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. Are you, are you seeing what just happened? They sold their brother into slavery. And now that they have this moment to be in front of him, they are apologizing, saying the ultimate act of repentance is we will now be your slaves. So you're seeing how sorry they are. Quick observation, forgiveness often opens the door for repentance. Now, I had to say often because I've grown up enough to know I can't guarantee it. Many of us have said we're sorry and the person looked at us and said, I don't care. Right? 
So it, forgiveness does not guarantee repentance. For, it doesn't just guarantee someone's like, oh, I've been waiting for you to say that. And see, forgiveness does not guarantee reconciliation. You ever said you're sorry and they're like, I don't care? Many of us have been on the other side too. We're like, I don't care that you said you're sorry. Doesn't guarantee reconciliation. In fact, there's a problem here. Let me show it to you uh, regarding repentance. Repentance is saying, in essence, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I know I hurt you and I'm going to change my ways. Withholding repentance is an attempt to escape. Again, you could just try to reflect on your childhood when if you admitted what you did, you thought you got into more trouble. <laughs> when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to say, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong, I'm not going to make that choice again, you're admitting that you were wrong. And we live in a culture that tries to avoid saying, I am wrong. <laughs> And many times we don't apologize because we're trying to escape. We think that person's kind of moved on or it's no longer a big deal or I'm not going to address this anymore because I don't want the emotions of it. And we think we're escaping what happened. I would tell you, as the Bible does, that confession is powerful for your soul. And if you think you're escaping, you're not. And this story of Joseph tells us that maybe some of us, we need to forgive. And that's how you begin to conquer hurt. But there's a whole other crew that needs to say, I'm sorry. So, so let me show you how the whole story ends. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Do you see Joseph's perspective now? He was sold into slavery, accused of rape, put into prison, betrayed by friends, and now he is saying, this all happened, and I think God can do something with it. God is not a malicious God. God does not intentionally throw you and I into a painful life just to hurt us. But I will tell you, the Bible also says what the devil meant for evil and bad, God can do something good with it. But you and I must conquer the hurt. Because if we don't conquer the hurt, it stays what the devil meant for it. So it brings you and I to perhaps one of two things, maybe both, but some of us need to forgive. Not say, I totally forget what happened or it doesn't hurt. No, 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 no. You start by releasing them. Admitting that Jesus forgave you before you ever said you were sorry. So because he did that, you're going to start doing that. Or maybe you're the person that needs God's help to say, I am sorry. What I did was wrong. I won't do it again. Let me show you something. Because if you're like, well, how do I get there? I need to explain this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, sometimes in church, we're like, oh, salvation, sweet. But we don't actually know what that means. So in our context, let me help you understand this. There is forgiveness of sins in no one else. 
Maybe it makes a bit more sense. There, there is forgiveness in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we can be, must be saved, forgiven. So what I would conclude is this. If you need to say you're sorry or you need to forgive, I believe you need the power of Jesus. Because sometimes those hurts are so painful. But sometimes we just forget that life is not about us. And what if we resource the power of God to say, I'm sorry, or to forgive? I would tell you, we need God in this. So here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, we're gonna participate in communion. Now someone's like, oh no, I'm not a member here. You don't have to be a member here. To participate in communion, this can be your first time or maybe you've been around for a while, but you do need to believe one thing, Jesus died for your sins. This is not a membership thing. This is, do you believe that Jesus, only Jesus, has the power and authority to forgive your sins. If you do, you can participate in communion. Here's, here's what happened with communion. Jesus is sitting in front of his disciples and he, he's got bread, he's got wine. He breaks the bread and says, my body's gonna be broken for you. And he passes it. Passes the goblet of wine. He says, my blood is also gonna be shed for you. It's gonna forgive all of your sins. You're not only gonna have access to me, but you will have forgiveness and he says, please don't ever forget this. In fact, when you do this, remember these moments. So how fitting is it for you and I to talk about forgiveness and hurt all the while remembering what Jesus actually did for us? So before we go into communion, before we remember what Jesus has done for us, I want us to have a time of just you and God privately talking. So do this for me if you wouldn't mind. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just for the sake of you being able to focus. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you need forgiveness, let me help you have that conversation. Just privately pray this to God. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the choices I've made that have not honored you. I surrender my will to you, my choices to you. I surrender my life to you. And I accept, God, your forgiveness. Thank you for washing away all my sins. I devote my life to you. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you need God's help forgiving someone. And if you're not sure how to even have the words to conjure up the words to say, just privately, perhaps these words will help you to pray to God. God, help me to forgive. Help me, God, to conquer this hurt. Help me, God, to focus on what you have done for me. Help me, God, to release this sin that was done to me. I choose today, God, to conquer evil by choosing forgiveness. 
God, I pray for our whole church, everyone that's listening. God, I pray for us all that you will give us the courage to press into what hurts us and to do what is necessary. We don't want evil to win. So God, I pray on behalf of all of my friends, help us to forgive, help us to say we're sorry so that victory becomes true victory. We pray this in the name of Jesus who made this all available to us. Amen.